Welcome to Bandofla and another episode. I'm your host, Febzi Hussein. Our third series seems to be flying past, and we're now into the sixth episode of this current series. Bandofla is going to be bringing some literal delights and culture to listeners this week, and helping us to really appreciate poetry is a young Turkish Cypriot person who hails from Tottenham, North London. We will be talking to her about a poem which she did as part of the World Poetry Day celebrations, which took place earlier this month. I love a bit of poetry, and I reckon in terms of modern day poetry, this really is right up there. Ella Altenbush will be joining me for a chat later. So... Bandofla listeners will know that it's not common for us to have young people on the show. Um, so my language has tended to be a bit on the fruity side when I go on air. But for this episode, there will not be a single swear word. I promise you. Promise, promise, promise. Even when I talk about the Tories, which you know will be a challenge for me, but I will not swear. Okay, before we hear from Ella, the headlines this week uh, commence with, uh, sadly, a a tragic story. Sir David Amos was the Conservative MP for Southend West, and a few days ago, during what would have been a fairly routine surgery session with one of his constituents, he was stabbed and sadly died from his injuries. Trade unionists will know that no one should go to work and never come home. Our thoughts are with his family and loved ones. In other news, Matt Hancock was making the headlines again. Just uh, five days ago, he tweeted, Honoured to be appointed United Nations Special Representative. I'll be working with the UN to help African economic recovery from the pandemic and promote sustainable development. The UN confirmed just yesterday, which would have been the 16th of October, that the role has now been withdrawn. Unlucky, Matt. Um, He thinks that the people of uh, Africa dodged a bullet on that one. Um, Or maybe the reference from Boris has has just come through. Who knows? Anyway, um, have you noticed the really negative press doing the rounds on GPs? and the GP surgeries, um, and also the NHS. I've been in contact with the NHS a fair bit recently, um, and again, in in very, very difficult circumstances, our nurses and doctors are doing an amazing job. Whenever the BBC starts to report on something, or the Daily Mail has a front-page headline, the Tories are up to their old tricks. I did say I weren't going to swear. Okay, I won't. Um, So the Tories are up to their old tricks and we're seeing GPs in the headlines. Um, And some of these headlines are really, really negative. Um, This is all part of the Tory master plan. Bleed the NHS dry. Now make GPs look like they don't care. Create that perfect storm so private healthcare can be ramped up a gear or two. I say ramped up a gear as the process of privatising health is well underway already. Don't buy the negative GP 
headlines. Come to think of it, don't buy the Sun or the Daily Mail. So on the back of these awful campaigns to show the NHS as struggling and GPs as being uncaring, a London-based GP practice has confirmed that it has started to receive hate mail. And I quote, this is what the surgery said, staff uh, would be put on trial for war crimes. Uh, This is what one of the patients uh, wrote in or or someone commented, actually. Um, This is a story from The Independent and I kid you not. The report goes on to say doctors and their staff working in GP surgeries across England are reporting a torrent of abuse from patients with some receiving hate mail while others have been left shaking and in tears by physical and verbal attacks. Come on listeners, this isn't on um you know we can't be we can't be doing this to, to doctors and, and nurses. Um please let's not stoop this low. I know there's been criticism of the Labour Party, uh moving on to a new subject now. Um so the criticism of the Labour Party has been around them not being able to form a credible opposition in some people's eyes. Um, But seriously, why do people vote for the Tories? Why? Do you like the fact that we have a a lying Prime Minister, maybe? Or maybe you like the fact that we are taking away £20 a week from the poorest in society? Um, Or maybe you like the fact that we have a state-run media outlet in the BBC that is now effectively a part of the government propaganda machinery? Or do you like the fact that under this government, over 140,000 people have lost their lives to COVID-19? And now apparently even the people with the most acute underlying health conditions don't need to shield, apparently. I could go on. You get the gist. We have an ever-growing incompetent government and they make teflon look like treacle Um, those of you who are a little bit older will remember when the trains were all under the banner of british rail for the younger ones listening this means the service was state run a bit like the nhs like the nhs british rail uh, suffered years of underfunding and neglect services were exhausted It made the public angry and hostile towards British Rail. A bit like what we're seeing today uh, with the NHS. And then the government comes up with the solution, which is allegedly privatisation. It's all a perfect storm being created, I tell you. And don't let Boris and his nasty Conservative Party hoodwink you into believing otherwise. Since privatisation of British Rail, prices for tickets on the trains have gone up well over the rate of inflation. The service is awful on many lines and sadly crashes are happening and continue to claim lives. It's just not on. I'm going to go into a bit of PR now because there's a lot of people talking about PR uh, on social media. Historically, I've been a bit indifferent to proportional representation 
For those of you who don't know what PR, proportional representation, is, the Electoral Reform Society describes it as proportional representation is the idea that the seats in Parliament should be in proportion to the votes cast. It's as simple as that. In the 2019 general election, the Tories polled 43% of the vote. In my book, that is not a majority. They won 364 seats in Parliament and this gave them an 80-seat majority. Second and third were Labour and the Lib Dems, respectively, with a combined percentage vote also of 43%. But for this 43% of the vote, Labour and the Lib Dems won just 214 seats. So compare that to the 364 seats that the Tories won for the same share of the vote. So just with this quick assessment, you can see that the first past the post system, which is in operation here in the UK, can be seen as being unfair, especially when a government fails to hit 50% or more of the vote. I think I'm going to be touching more on proportional representation in coming months and I will be a strong advocate for political change. On the international front, the mainstream media has been very quiet on Palestine. This is always a, a bad sign for me as the oppression of Palestinian people, our Palestinian brothers and sisters, continues as normal with the West turning a blind eye to the apartheid regime in place. These aren't my words, these are the words of Human Rights Watch. A bit further north of Palestine, specifically my homeland, which is Cyprus, uh, we've seen the government in the north of the island uh, resign their power uh, after a shaky coalition uh, that has been in place for about a year. I find politics and Cyprus difficult to take seriously. As for such a small and beautiful island to be divided and polarised for so long is nothing short of a travesty. Personally, I would like nothing more than for the island to be reunited as one and for all Cypriots, Greek and Turkish, to benefit from this. However, the reality is that the Greek Cypriot administration has no real intention of making this happen um, on the basis of Cypriots all being equal and so the alternative will de facto uh, be for the status quo to remain. But what we're seeing is that the um, in, in response to this stalemate what's building momentum is the, uh, the, the arguments for the recognition of a, a new state in the north. Even the UK government is making noises that it would uh, never really have, have been made uh, before. It wouldn't have dreamed of making before. And to this I, I genuinely uh, feel that Christofias uh, of Akel previously and now with this is um, Anastadiades, this is, was the ruling party, they have let the, the Greek Cypriot people down in my humble opinion. The previous leaders um, in the north of the island, such as Mehmet Ali Talat and Mustafa Akinji, 
they were the perfect partners to forge a solution. Um, but everyone has failed. Everyone. So moving forward on Cyprus, I genuinely feel that there is too much testosterone in the room. I've made this point before. I genuinely feel that. Um, whenever the two sides meet, it's always men leading the negotiations. For over half a century, the Cypriot men have failed to break the deadlock of the Cyprus uh, problem. And it's time for our Cypriot women to take the lead. At least that's my uh, belief. But we might be waiting a, a while for that to happen. Um, did someone say it's time to bring on the poet? Okay, I'm delighted to welcome on Bandofla Ella Altenbush, who is a young poet from North London, Tottenham to be specific. Um, and I'm going to be speaking with Ella, all things poetry. Um, Ella, welcome to the show. Hi, Phil Selby. I'm really glad to be here. Okay, so we, go, we said... We've told our listeners we're going to do a, a session around poetry because it was World Poetry Day. Uh, can you remind our listeners what day that was? Uh, World Poetry Day was the 7th of October and we have a World Poetry Week coming soon, which is really exciting. Yeah, we're going to touch on, on that, Ella. We're going to have a little bit of a chat. And the whole reason why I've got you on this programme is because you've done something quite amazing. Um, you have put together a, a poem which we're going to play for listeners. Um, so I think we'll do that first. Um, the poem, do you want to tell listeners what the poem's called? So my poem is called Stop Killing the Mandam. Okay. All right. So let's play that poem and then we'll have a, a little bit of a chat about some of the stuff which inspires inspired you in relation to the poem and maybe some wider points around poetry okay okay hello my name is Ella Rifa. I'm 14 and I live in London coming from an Afro-Turkish Cypriot background fitting in hasn't always been easy for me and when I heard about the Black Lives Matter protests and my teacher had given us a piece of homework which was to write about a social issue I chose to write about um I chose to write about the protests and racism in not just the UK but racism in the world. Um, when I had shown it to my English teacher when I was in year nine, he told me to pursue my poem and so here I am. Uh, mandem is a 21st century modern slang word which means a group of boys or young men. So yeah, here's my poem, I hope you enjoy. Stop, just stop, stop the hate and the pain that's being caused, just stop. The looks, the pauses, the whispers, the side glances and saying what differs. We have seen it all, we stumble and fall, but we need to stop killing the man then. If the police got a call and it was said we are looking for a black man about six foot tall and they arrested an innocent soul, the explanation would be he matched the description. What about his mum or dad bawling their eyes out from sadness? That's just madness. The daughters as well as the sons accused of things they didn't do. And when asked if they know what they have done in a teary voice, they say they don't. 
that's just how it goes but the reality is no one really knows if someone goes around saying slang it's automatically said they're in a gang how do you know they could be the next right back for a premier league team or the next steve jobs at only 18 who knows so just hear me out and stop killing the manda racism is taught not inherited but that's just only parts of it we all learned black history started with slavery but it didn't years ago the n-word was used as a label if you're black and walk past someone and they said it you would have to take it that was hundreds of years ago and hundreds of years later it's still being used by people who shouldn't be saying it i'm not going to name and shame but you know who you are don't play that game you say this word and you get caught out so you think an apology video is going to solve it newsflash it doesn't who are you trying for if a man says he can't breathe, let him breathe. If a girl says she can't swim, don't drown her. If a man was just going out to get some exercise, let him get some, don't shoot him. And if a woman did absolutely nothing wrong, don't shoot her eight times. The list continues. So there I say, I beg of you, stop killing the man then. We see what's on the news every day and the stuff that's not on the news gets delayed. When you make raps or songs about gang violence and drugs, they are called troubled. We need to act as if we never said it and we just mumbled. Then after these songs are released, we're asked why we write them. And the reason is to educate, just to set the record straight. So just to get this through your head, stop killing the mandem. If we took our skin off our bodies, we'd see we're the same. Same amount of bones in our bodies and same colour blood. So why are we making these innocent people's families cry so much? No one can answer that question. So after all of this, I hope the message is clear and people stop that hate and fear. So once again, to get it through your head, stop killing the mandem. Um, so that was my poem. I really hoped you enjoyed my reading. Well, Ella. I have to say, people are going to be listening to that, um, you know, around the world. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a really powerful poem. I, I congratulate you on that piece. Um, I think what listeners want to hear, let, let's go into a little bit of detail around, you know, what, um, what inspired you. Um, so, so what... What inspired you first? Let's talk about World Poetry Day, which was the 7th of October. Um, what's inspired you to take part in World Poetry Day and in general to have such a, a powerful, powerful connection with poetry? So I think, I think growing up, it was always listening to music. That was kind of my escape from reality. And in music, it's very lyrical and you know, I'd always be around school singing and my English teacher always knew that I'd kind of grasp onto lyrics quickly. So he decided to kind of put me through poetry and it's where we had a poetry club. So I entered that and it made me realise that poetry is not as boring as people think. And it was a way that I can kind of get my point across on what I wanted to say, especially being, um, you know, a growing young woman in North London, Tottenham especially, that it was a way how I can get my point across and how I could get people to kind of see eye to eye with me. Wow. I mean, it's, it's, it is inspiring for me listening to you, you know. I, I, I really do take my hat off to you that you're... And, and you, I think you are a, a great example of, uh, you know, kids growing up who are more connected with some of the political issues. You talked there about Black Lives Matter. Um, 
I mean, just before we go on, I mean, you, you would have been aware of what, what's happened in America with George Floyd. Um, what impact did that have on you? So I think going to such a diverse school, it really kind of opened my eyes and it comes to a point where it's like we, my year group as a whole, us being, you know, bang smack in the middle of the year, year nine at that time, we kind of thought, well, let's protest in school about it. So that's what we done. We had a protest in school and the teachers actually had to stop that protest saying, you know, it's a government school. We can't show our opinion as a school. So if you protest, go do it for you. So my entire year went to the protest and it was such amazing to see my entire year, you know, get involved in it. And it impacted me to show how much, how many, you know, how many young women felt the way that I did. Well, that's, I mean, half of our listeners are actually um, from across the Atlantic in America. So obviously the whole George Floyd um, issue, I mean, it didn't start, Black Lives Matter didn't start with George um, and it's not going to end with George's death, um, you know, but I think our American brothers and sisters are going to be very inspired um, by the solidarity that not just you, but your whole year um, showed. So it's a really well done. Um, okay, so your entry has um, got you in, uh, into the prestigious, is it the Poet Society? Poetry yeah. Society. Yeah. Um, Young Poet Society. Yeah. Um, and I mean, what's, you mentioned the National Poetry Week later on in um, October. I think it's on 31st of October. Um, has this recent piece of work inspired you to take part in that um, and what advice would you give to anyone thinking about doing some poetry? Um, to be fair I've been thinking about it and my mum's definitely you know she's my main supporter like really being honest here my mum is like my main supporter and I love her to pieces and she tells me write poems that show a message so I definitely really still want to pursue that and of course I'm definitely going to take part and to be fair the advice that I would give to any you know young people that really want to get into poetry is don't be afraid of being heard because your voice matters and I think that young people um we don't realize as much that our voice matters because a lot of the time adults say to us you know you're young it's better to be seen and not heard but we have a you know we have a voice and our voice matters just as much as anyone else's absolutely and i i reckon that when your mum um listens to this particular episode when we play it back she'll probably be wiping a little tear of proudness from from her eye <laughs> <laughs> so okay listen so i think what um what i want to touch on next is um we're keen to to give young people a voice and that's a, a point that you've you've just made so it's a good time for this question um Bandofla's keen to give young people a voice in society um and i guess with this platform i'm going to ask you what message would you like to share with any adults listening um so they can see life through the lens of uh, a teenager so, I mean, we don't think really like that optimistically. Well, I don't at least. Maybe that's just because I'm in year 10 and I don't really like going to school on a Monday. But 
Um, <laughs> I think we care about the adults in our life more than they think we do. And we're not like to us, it might not seem like we're on social media all the time, but as we kind of, as we take a step back, we realize that we are because of, I, I would say coming from a teen anyways, because of technology these days and social media, like the influence that social media has on young people, it consumes our life. So I think that adults, um, some of them need to like, like realize in a sense we 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 we're on our own world because we don't like the we don't like reality now like I'm a young woman and it's like I'm scared to go out of my house after four five you know six even if it's just me and my mum you know I'm scared which is why I get you know picked up and taken to school in the mornings because I don't know what's going to happen so it's probably like social media is an escape for us not necessarily saying it's bad but it's just an escape from reality from us yeah I mean it's it's very powerful for you saying that because I think that uh, I'm guessing that what you've just described is not uncommon for for many young women, um, and you know we've we've seen some some really tragic um, happenings with Sarah Everard um, and and the, the more recent sister. So you know there's definitely something that the government has to step up and do more to protect women and young girls. So. Um, I, I agree with you 100% Ella. Um, okay, so following on from this kind of opportunity, I'm, you know, I'm giving you a platform to kind of say, put out some really strong messages. Um, so, all right, listen, um, I want you to imagine, right, for one moment that you are the leader of the Labour Party, could be another party, but let's just say Labour, and you've beaten Boris Johnson in the general election. Um, and so you're now the Prime Minister. So you're Prime Minister, Ella Altenbush of the United Kingdom. So Prime Minister, what will be your first three priorities as the new Prime Minister? And what new laws would you want to introduce? So obviously there's a lot of things that I really want to like introduce and a lot of contributions that I want to make. But the first things that I definitely put in place are to hire more women and ethnic minorities in services um, like police, paramedics and firefighters so that people would feel more safer and more comfortable and show that women can do just as good a job as a male police officer can. Um, the next change that I'd implement would be to sink more money towards the NHS and education institutions so that people get the resources they need because I think the NHS 100% need more resources. There's never going to be enough funding for the NHS to, you know, change everything there, buy all new machinery and everything. So we just have to keep, you know, funding and having more fundraisers and, you know, contributing more to the things that matter. And the last, like, probably law that I'd implement would be to give back the £20 universal credit because £20 means a lot to some people and it would be really nice especially in the such diverse country we live in to see more people getting more opportunities which I think you know the opportunities in this country is, is very uh, they're very limit like limitless so I definitely probably give that back to people who need it. I have to say I'm I'm quite emotional actually hearing 
you comment on issues around representation in public life of women and ethnic minorities and the issue around universal credit because I've got a lot of friends who are on universal credit and you know they have to they're genuinely going to be choosing between having food on the table and heating uh, a room Um, and the fact that you're you know you would make them a priority um, I think I can safely say you'd make a better prime minister than Boris Johnson uh, Ella (laughs) 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 but um Honestly, I'm genuinely touched by your contribution on that. And I think a lot of people listening will be inspired by what you've just said. So thank you for that. Um, so in your, in your poem, the intro bit, you reference your ethnic heritage and the fact that your heritage is African-Turkish. Um, when did you become more kind of conscious, more aware of of this um, heritage? So I think really speaking about the fact that I'm part of an an Afro-Turkish family, um, I think my mum gets, um, I think on my mum's side, you know, it gets quite teary to speak about. But um, it was probably, you know, it was probably year three, I think. And we had had an international day in primary school and my primary school, it wasn't, it wasn't really that diverse. It was either, there was quite a lot of Turkish people. So it was either you're Turkish, you're English, or, you know, you're African or Caribbean. And I was like this little Afro-Turkish, you know, Turkish Cypriot girl. And it was like, I had had to say to people, I'm from Cyprus, but I'm not Greek and I'm Turkish, but I'm not from Turkey. And people would kind of give me looks because they were really, they didn't know what North Cyprus was. And it was something where I was kind of like, yeah, we have Afro-Turkish people. And there are some places in Turkey that have Afro-Turkish people and they have not, you know, ever seen that. And it really just, it pulled out to me when my mum kind of, when I came home, I was really upset. And, you know, my mum said, don't be upset, you know, let me show you some pictures. And she pulled out all of these pictures of my Afro-Turkish grandfather and um, great-grandfather. And I finally developed a sense of belonging in a way because, um, because no one had believed me, you know, no one believed me because my mum is very fair skinned and she straightens her hair. And, you know, if she didn't straighten her hair, people would see she's got these beautiful, you know, luscious curls and so do I, but I've been so used to straightening my hair and slicking it back because I'm scared of what people thought about me. And in secondary school, it kind of, you know, it kind of grasped on people when a teacher who was also Afro-Turkish came in as a substitute one day and she said, I'm from Cyprus and I'm black as well. And kids kind of turned and, you know, looked at me because um, I'm tanned, but I'm not, um, you know, dark skinned. I'm like, essentially, if you look at me, I'm white. Um, But it was really like hard for people to grasp and then people started going into it doing their own research and we had had all these teachers coming in and speaking about it and I finally felt accepted because I'm you know I finally felt accepted and I can say to people yeah I'm Afro-Turkish I look white but this is my family I'm proud of who I am and you guys should be as well yeah that's that's really well put and I think that there's um, a strong connection with Sudan um 
in terms of the the African Turkish connection. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know if if you you know more about that, but there's there's certainly a lot more information, and there's people in our community who are who are very um, keen to promote that kind of Black Turkish heritage, which is very important. So yeah. Um, so but well well done for raising that at school. That's that's really important. Well done. Thank you, um, and okay, so what I understand that you've um, we're coming to, towards the end of this uh, interview, which I have to say has been an absolute joy for for me to prepare, uh, and I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Um, I'm, I know our listeners are going to really enjoy this episode as well. Um, I understand that as part of your passion uh, around poetry you've prepared some new material which is going to have another exclusive airing on Bandofla. So um, I know you've got a, a couple, two or three pieces there. So <laughs> I'm going to hand it over to you, Ella. Um, and, you know, if you if, just just roll with it in terms of what you're going to share. And um, if you if you explain to listeners what what the poem's called and and then off you go. So the first poem that I'm going to say to you is a poem called Bear. And Bear, which my mum says, is a very rude word to say when you are speaking to Turkish Cypriot people, because <laughs> she says it sounds very, what's the word? She says it sounds very like slang and, you know, it's not nice, but I, you know, I, I'm, I disagree with her. I mean, it depends who you're saying it to. So this is my poem called Bear. Mum, why is bear rude to say? You say it all the time. Whenever you see your cousins, you say bear, I'm doing fine. Is it because I say it and maybe I'm too young? Or is it because it's mean and becoming part of my tongue? Is it weird to say or simply just not nice? I mean, all I do is tilt my head and hear it being said twice. I never question my mother tongue, but this is the only time. But I really need to know. Bear is a word I say a lot, so does it have to go? <laughs> I have I resonate with that poem so much because my mum is always saying to me, Bear, what are you doing? You know, so um, but that I think you know, um Cypriots, both Turkish and Greek, will understand exactly where you're coming from with that. So that, uh, that that was awesome. That was absolutely awesome. Okay, next one. So I've got two more, so it depends what one you'd like me to say. I mean, I'm I'm not fussed. So the next one that I'm going to say is a poem called Bandofla. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so here it's really short, but I hope you enjoy it. Bandofla is listened by my mama. Its broadcaster is a guy called Fezi, who's a mad gooner. For those of us that speak Turkish in the correct grammar, Bandofla is slang and it, all ju and it just means so far. Hey. So people will know now because loads of people will be wondering what it does Bandofla mean. So Ella, thank you for that. You've you've broken the mystery around Bandofla. I've broken the mystery about around Bandofla. <laughs> okay, and on to your third one. You have another one. So yeah, my third poem. It it I was there's this TV show called um, Buzaman Lakabras, which I'm sure you've heard, and. Um, 
it really touches upon me and my family and I was watching it yesterday with my mum and I've never cried so much and been proud of my history so this poem is called Alphabesi and it is about the Turkish alphabet so I hope you enjoy the chair of my chair and the jar of my jar one with a hook and the other as plain as can be the ver of my yumushakya like a G with a halo and the uh and my e, one with a head and the other as z as you can see. The o of my o and the two dots it carries and the difference between my ser and my shirt, a hook makes all the difference just because it's there. The uh and the u, two dots change to different tones. Benim alphabesi, my alphabet, 29 letters from my home. Wow, that's, uh, that's brilliant. Right, I, I'm... I'm completely uh, quite overwhelmed, actually, um, with this uh, interview. I, I think you've been a real breath of fresh air. Um, and, you know, poetry, literacy is so important. Um, obviously, everyone has different kind of learning capabilities, um, but poetry is something that, you know, almost everyone will be able to take, take part in. Um, I mean, in terms of any final messages from you, around poetry um what would you like to leave our listeners with well i just say anyone that wants to pursue poetry go for it a hundred percent because when i was probably 10 i thought oh poetry that's so boring but then once i got into it i realized you know it's it's here for a reason so that i can say what i need to say and it basically showed me that a flow of words can make all the difference. Okay. Ella Altenbosch, thank you very much for joining me on Bandofla. Um, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, Sosabi. It's, it, it's been an honour. Okay, we've reached the end of another episode. Thank you for sticking with us. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, I know you're all waiting for me to bust a a poem, um, but I'm afraid the extent of my uh, poetry is likely to begin with Roses are red, violets are blue, and uh, I kind of get stuck after that, so... um, so I've taken absolutely nothing away from my brilliant guest uh, on our show uh, this week, Ella Altenbush. Uh, thank you, Ella, for, for joining me and for freestyling those extra poems as well and your poem, which has got you access into the uh, Poetry Society. Really well done with the Stop Killing the Mandem. Uh, poem which is absolutely awesome so remember you can follow Bandofla on Twitter we are at underscore Bandofla that's B-A-N-D-O-F-L-A you can email the show uh, at podcastbandofla at gmail.com and if you wish to send us a message um, on absolutely anything relating to this show or previous shows via the anchor uh, 
podcast platform, there is a, a voice message facility. So you'll have 60 seconds to say whatever you want um, and we'll play it in a future show within reason, of course. So uh, until next time, um, my dear listeners, do take care. Keep safe. Peace and love. I'm Fevzi Hussain and I'm out of here.